of Jackson Elias, an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. My name's Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And this week our topic is the Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition Quick Start Rules. That's the any nominated uh, Is it, Call Scott? Cthulhu, yes. yes quick Start Rules. What does this mean? It means that you can describe yourself as the any nominated Paul Fricker. Well, then you're the any nominated Scott Dawood. You, yeah. you did some editing on it. Yeah, I edited it, but that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think you really give any's to editors. You know, they, they go to the writers. It's the team that gets it. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, listed authors on the book, Sandy Peterson, the original author of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Lynn Willis, who's uh, another one of the uh, credited authors on it, did much work over... Um, a number of editions, previous editions, oh, well, yeah. in developing it. He, he kept the line alive for years. Yeah, not very much so. It. Yeah. Uh, he was line editor. And, uh, Mike Mason, who is the new line editor and co-author of the 7th edition rules. Uh, so together, um, nominated for, for an Ennie for Best Free Product. Yes, with any luck, you know, you'll get to reproduce that next year with the full version when that comes out and uh, you know, for the non-free category. Well, it'll be interesting to see next year because will have a whole host of things out next year with any luck. There'll be Orient Express, there'll be uh, the 7th the edition rulebook, there'll be the, um, the Investigator's Handbook, there'll be Nameless Horrors, there'll be... The Keeper's Screen. Um, Ripples from Carcosa. Yes, that's, right. out, that's out now. It's just, yes, but it won't be out yeah. in time for the um, Ennis, yes, which I true. believe the submission date is May for products for the Ennis. Yeah, I think the PDF only went on the Chaosium website this yeah. week, yes. as of time of recording. Um, so there'll be a whole host of um, potential things that they could put forward um, for the Ennis. Yeah, it's going to be interesting next year because it's also going to be up against D&D 5th edition. Yeah. So yeah. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to be brutal. <laughs> So what we'd like to do in this episode is just have a, a look at the 7th edition quick start rules and kind of say uh, what they're about, what they've got in them and what they haven't got in them. Uh, so maybe if you've, you know, you might be listening to this and you've never played Call of Cthulhu, well, what are the quick start rules? Can you run a game with them? And you might be a seasoned player. Uh, you know, what does the 7th edition quick start rules give you that you haven't already got? Well, I mean, the first thing to mention is that, you know, if, as, as we suggested earlier, they uh, a free download. You can go to the Chaosium website or to RPG Now and download them free of charge from there. Yeah. Um, and you can also even get a print edition, I believe, from Amazon Print On Demand. Oh, right. That's, that, that's, that's what you're holding in your hand, Paul. Uh, no, I'm holding one that Charlie at Chaosium had printed for Gen Con last oh, year. Oh, okay. This is as much sought after... Um, Edition with my name spelt wrong. Excellent. <laughs> this, 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 this isn't your Japanese stage name, is it? Paul Flicker. Yeah, but before you think <laughs> that this is a, a racist <laughs> joke on our part, this is a racist joke on Google Translate's part. Yeah, it's Bing Translation on, on Bing. Twitter. Right. 
Yes, so uh, a, a tweet that I put up regarding uh, Dockside Dogs, um, the charity scenario that was published a couple of years ago, I was promoting it recently and it got picked up by Twitter, retweeted by a Japanese called Cthulhu fan. It was all written in Japanese characters with the option to translate. So when I hit translate, comes out author Paul Flicker, Flicker as in the, uh, the picture website. <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Yeah, so you are now Paul Flicker. Yeah, I think I should use that. Yeah. That's great. I, I've just got a printout of the PDF here. But yeah, I hadn't noticed that before. Paul Flicker. Yes. Oh, that's it has been amended now. Oh, I, I was quick off the mark. You I? were. <laughs> yeah. You have a much more valuable, rare PDF. With, with spelling mistakes or additional can, spelling mistakes. Can, can I just say that those credits were added after the pass of uh, yeah, the did. <laughs> so should we? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty slim volume. I mean, what I've got in my hands is about just about forty pages. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lovely cover, though. I was really pleased with the cover of three characters entering the Antarctic tunnels by the look of it and encountering an elder thing in a kind of a blue monochrome. Nice kind of uh, watercolory painting. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Really nice. Oh, well, there's some good artwork throughout it. Mm. It's got a really nice clean layout as well. I yes. would compliment the layout, which I think. Let me see who did the layout. Was that Charlie, Charlie and someone else? I thought it was Charlie. Yes, Charlie and Zachary T. Irwin are credited uh, uh, using the Cristoforo font created by Thomas Finney. Uh, he had a Kickstarter um, a year or two back uh, to get the Cristoforo font kind of perfected because they were there was a version of it obviously that Chaosium were using previously for the Call of Cthulhu books but some of the, the, the characters in the fonts weren't quite right in some way that I don't quite appreciate but um, he, he uh, had a Kickstarter and really kind of created the font is it a yeah. historical font I'm not quite I, d- I don't know but it's I mean for, for those of you who haven't encountered it before it is the iconic Call of Cthulhu font mm. it's the one that the Call of Cthulhu logo is done in though it's, it's a slight variant that's got a slightly different C on it and a different U as well alright um, but uh, yeah, yeah he, he revived the whole thing um Oh, yeah, like you say, a couple of years ago, and it's done yeah. a sterling job. I, I, I was actually one of the backers of the Kickstarter, so I've, I've been getting updates. Oh, right. Time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, different people have passion, different passions, and his is obviously for fonts. done a lovely job of it. So within the book, yep, we get an introduction to what Call of Cthulhu is. I mean, this, this product is very much aimed at people who have perhaps never role-played before, or certainly never played Call of Cthulhu before, and, yeah. and this is something I pick up and run a game. So... I was very keen that it would speak to people who didn't know what role playing was because I think if you if you've never role played, what's it all about? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting thing but that a lot of role playing games these days are really aimed at existing role players. Not very many of them really take into account the fact that someone might be picking this up as their first game. And I think you know as as sales have moved to almost exclusively you know specialist shops and particularly online sales, that that's actually probably depressingly accurate. That there are it's not like you know not like it was when we were lads, Paul. When <laughs> you know you could actually just wander into a toy store and see a copy of say Call of Cthulhu mm. on the shelf there. And, you know, think oh what the hell is this? Pick it up and and you know it could be your first exposure to role playing. Yeah, I mean I remember picking up on speak of loath um original copies like the early editions in meadow hall shopping center in sheffield mm. in the virgin megastore there um you know just on the shelf i don't think you know you'd have to go to a specialist game shop now to find something like that yeah 
But I, Call of Cthulhu, I guess, is it, it's fairly unusual in that you know it's it's big enough that it's it stands a better chance of being someone's first role playing game than most of the other RPGs on the market. Yeah, to be fair, I was in um, Waterstones um, in Milton Keynes recently, and they do have a role playing game section. I mean, it's it's limited naturally, but um, I. Th- think possibly there was some Call of Cthulhu there was certainly um, you know Dungeons and Dragons and maybe Pathfinder and some White Wolf stuff yeah yeah so they, they have a spattering of, of, of games there I think thinking about it, there is one indie press game that I remember that has the um, has some paragraph at the front that says oh, normally we have a we have the oh so what's role playing all about well dot 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 if you found this book for heaven's sake you should know what a role playing game is <laughs> we'll skip that <laughs> we'll skip that section yeah it did, I think it did become an almost obligatory section that most people most role players you'd kind of look at that bit and go oh that bit again and, and yeah it, it's it's almost ironic that it was ubiquitous in games at a time when there wasn't a lot of difference in approach between how you played different role playing games that you know the, the, it was the same set of assumptions the the rules were different but it was the same set of assumptions that you would have a gm that he or she would prepare the scenario that the players would play a single character reach uh, that they wouldn't use any out of character knowledge in the game and that you know the, the mechanics of the games were you know they they different levels of crunchiness and so on but they worked in fundamentally the same way back when we did it properly you mean (laughs) yes before all this deviant nonsense but 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 yeah Yeah. i mean that now that you know role-playing games have diversified a lot and there are lots of different approaches to them you actually see a lot less what is role-playing sections that tell you how to play the game i think because um it's a bit like what is art it's a it's a pointless conversation or or an unanswerable conversation. Yeah. Um, what is role playing has become, you know, people have taken to saying, well, you know, that game that's not role playing, and it's become a, a conversation that people now, some people try to avoid. I think because it's a becoming a pointless debate, as in what is art and what isn't art, what is role playing and what isn't role playing. Yeah. I've always said when people ask me what's a role playing game, I said that's probably the hardest question to answer about the whole thing. Yeah, mm. I, I I can't remember who it was. It might have been John W. Campbell um, was asked uh, to define what science fiction was, uh, and the answer he gave up with is uh, science fiction is what I read when I feel like reading science fiction. And I, 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 I almost feel like it's the same thing with role playing games. Yeah, a role playing game is what I play when I feel like playing an RPG. <laughs> it's a game in which you play a role. Done. <laughs> Except sometimes it's not. Oh. <laughs> Have to be picking me, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it might be a role-playing game when you play a Monopoly. Yes. You kind of almost take on another character, and you can do. You can no. play it up. Everyone hates the banker. <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is your introduction to this is pointless. <laughs> What else can I say, you know, <laughs> as is my whole life, but I struggle on. Um, so we have a whole section called Never Played a Role Playing Game Before, which endeavours to get across that concept of what it's about. I mean, Charlie Crank has a good way of kind of handling this when you know, he was talking to publishers, just kind of giving them a spiel about it's a bit like a murder mystery, but one person's kind of the facilitator, if you like, and the other people are playing characters. As soon as you sort of say it's... You know, a bit like D&D. And they're like, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> That's a so, kind of a, a quick way of saying it, but yeah. not necessarily the best way to say it. And uh, as soon as you do, the, do that, anyone who's not a role player starts picturing you running around in cloaks, speaking of funny accents, and uh, yeah. Yeah. well, oh, no, yes, because plenty of people don't really know what D and D's about. Yeah. So, where, where does it go from there after the introduction? Uh, we have an overview of the game, talking about the themes of the game what you need to play the game, uh, you know, dice, pencils, and so on. One thing that you know has been on my mind a bit because of going through the proofs recently for the upcoming Investigator's Handbook is the fact that, yeah, you, have, you do have to explain all these funny-shaped dice uh, to people who've never played the game before. You know, explain... It's, it's just little things like, you know, how percentiles work. Because, you know, be, certainly you and I, Paul, have been doing this for 30 years and you've been doing it for almost as long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, since he was in the womb. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were born knowing about percentile dice, Matt. Well, my father's a physicist, so yeah, kind of. <laughs> but that's about 15 years for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, you, you kind of forget that you had to learn all these things once upon a time and had to learn what notations like 2d6 means. Mm, there is a lot of jargon, which, you know, we tried to cut through, but it's kind of inevitable that it'll be there. Well, p- particularly if you want to make sure that people can use other published materials that don't explain what mm. these things are. It then goes on to a section on creating an investigator. Now, th- this is a condensed version of the of the full rule set. So we have to present something here which allows you to create a character, um, well, A, fairly quickly, and B, concisely. Uh, so it's got what we call the quickfire character creation rules. And this was something specifically that you created for, well, not not just for this, but 7th edition in general. Yeah, for 7th edition, that, that just kind of gave you a set of numbers that you could stick down on your character sheet. In fact, you know, this is Sandy Peterson's idea. When I've, I've, I've played with him once or twice in tabletop games at conventions, and this is what he'll do. He'll just give you a blank character sheet, and he'll say, you know, okay, uh, you can um, pick your profession, stick. You got one characteristic at eighty, two at seventy, three at sixty. I forget the exact numbers. Something akin to that. And then, you know, have some skills and a similar kind of distribution of, of skill numbers. And then he says, right, you're ready to play now. Yeah. Um, so it's you know quite kind of quick fire, and that's what I wanted to try and capture in in that section. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, if I'm doing pre-gens now for convention games, I use these rules because they're so much quicker. Yeah, likewise, exactly the same. That I, I like also the fact that there's a good degree of balance with them, that everyone's on an even footing rather than relying on randomness of dice rolls. Because you know, any poor player has my luck with dice, and they'll be <laughs> shafted in one. Yeah, yeah, because when, when I did uh, some pre-gens for Continuum two years ago, um, certainly there was one where you know, I, I rolled really badly for the power, and you know, it was uh, a character starting out with a power of 20 or something like Ooh. that. Uh, so, sanity of 20. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting, and it made the game interesting, but yeah, I think it was Steve Dempsey who ended up getting the character and looked at it and said, Really? (laughs) You sure about this? Uh, Then it covers um, secondary attributes, um, hit points and what they are, damage bonus and what it is, and so on, sanity. Then we have a selection of occupations. So it's quite a limited selection, but it's what you need. You've come for the particularly Lovecraftian ones here, haven't you? So we've got antiquarian, author, dilettante, doctor, journalist, professor, private investigator, police detective... And that's it. So you've got about 
seven or eight professions. So that allows you to create a character, um, but it doesn't give you the options that the full rules give you. Yeah, I mean, the, the full rules give you a few additional options. It gives you the classic uh, character generation method where you're rolling dice. It gives you a, a bit more of a point-by system, if I remember Yeah, it's right. point, I mean, there's a lot of yeah. people that didn't like rolling dice to generate characteristics. Yeah. So there's a point-by system. Uh, yeah, there's a few options in there. Yeah. Um, plus, plus experience packages and stuff like that. So there's there's lots investigator of groups. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots lots of embellishments and uh, options in there. Yeah. But but yeah, if you just want to hit the ground running really quickly, then this does the job. We then gone to an overview of the game system, uh, trying to keep it as simple as possible with um, how to deal with skill rolls and opposed skill rolls. And one thing it's worth mentioning is that the the, the quick start rules published here were a lot of people's uh, first introduction to some of the changes that you've made in seventh edition along those lines. So you know the use of opposed skill roles to replace the resistance table, uh, the concept of pushed roles, and so on are all explained in this. Hmm. You know, not again, not in as much detail as they would be in the main rules, but certainly enough to play with and enough to get your head around what these new concepts are. Hmm. We got sanity. We got combat. We've got a weapons table in in the uh, the core book, which is, well, I don't know, two or three pages. Yeah. Uh, in here, we've just got what about seven or eight stats. So we've got handgun, shotgun, rifle. We haven't got all the different types. We've just got you know those three basic ones. Yeah. It's pretty much all I list whenever I do a pre-gen. Is I generally list those as the and that and knife. Um, or maybe a club sometimes to say these are the main weapon types if you find them if you get hold of them use the generic stats for each of these weapons yeah again I mean this this all comes down to the matter of taste we've talked about before and that you know uh, you know Matt in particular and me to a lesser extent you know we're not that bothered about combat in the games and certainly not particularly bothered about trying to you know you realistically model different kinds of guns and so on uh, but for some people, you know, it's very important, and you've gone into quite a lot of detail in the main core book, main rule book. Well, we have. I mean, one of the things that's always struck me about guns in Call of Cthulhu is that there might be, um, you know, 15, 20, 20 different types of handgun listed, but the actual statistics that are listed for them, there's not a great variation in, in the dice types. I mean, there are extremes maybe down to maybe 1d6 up to about... 1d10 plus 4, something like that. But, I mean, if you take 1d10 as a standard handgun... But, I mean, the, I mean, the thing is that, the, you know, as I said, these are important to some people. Some people, you know, find that this is an essential part of their enjoyment of the game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're not going to find that in the uh, the quick start rules, but, that, again, that's not really what the quick start rules are for. No. But, no. you know, if, if you do want to see tables, you know, tables and tables of different gun types, then, you know, the core rulebook will do that. Or get yourself some Delta Green. Yeah, or, they, they excel at that. Or the, or the that, that sixty stone press book. The, what is it? The Investigator weapons. weapons Volume yeah. One. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, 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 that is a whole book full of weapon stables for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the old Delta Green or Pagan Publishing Weapons Compendium, which is pretty hard to seek out, but uh, has Wait, a was vast. That, was that one that had the sniping thing in it? No, that was a supplement called Killer Crosshairs. Ah, okay. Uh, that was another pagan publishing product from, yeah, from yeah. years gone by, <clears throat> which was marvellous. That's all the transparencies you over yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of fun. But anyway, that's not in here. <laughs> um, then we get a bit about hit points, wounds, and healing. 
A table called Other Forms of Damage, which is in the core book, which is something we came up with for 7th edition, which basically allows the Keeper to kind of think, well, this given incident, you know, that that is, is very unusual or, or generic or, or whatever it is, um, somebody getting hit by a car, somebody falling down the stairs, jumping out of a second-story window, that it allows them to sort of think, well, how much damage, what... what What's the likely kind of damage of that? You know, would somebody like to break their leg? Is it likely to kill them? And then they can cross-reference that on the chart and it kind of gives them a guide to the amount of damage to deliver. Yeah. So it's a very kind of one-size-fits-all table that, that hopefully kind of uh, fits most incidents that might happen in the game. Yeah, and I, I think it it covers that you know, very specific Call of Cthulhu requirement of being you know simple enough that it doesn't interrupt play at all, but being versatile enough that it covers a lot of eventualities. Yeah, I've certainly used the falling, uh, falling damage rules in there before. We then get Sandy Peterson's classic scenario, The Haunting. Yes, which is is almost everyone's first Call of Cthulhu scenario. I mean, yeah, <laughs> wasn't mine. <laughs> I've not played it. I ran it I... once recently for my kids. <laughs> Actually, you know something? I'm not sure I've ever run it. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, apart from that, it's everyone's first Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Apparently, we're outliers. But but if you if you go to yorksalthus.com or anywhere on the internet where Call of Cthulhu players gather and you talk about Call of Cthulhu, they all nod every- their heads sagely and the ah oh, the haunting. Whereas you listener, you're sat there shaking your head saying the what. <laughs> it's been in every edition of the Call of Cthulhu rulebook until 7th edition it's been in the quick start rules not just for 7th edition but the previous ones um, uh, it's got to be the most published and distributed Call of Cthulhu adventure by a long chalk uh, so this one's got some additional advice in there for very much aimed at an, a starting keeper that's never run a game before or never run Call of Cthulhu before reminding them of Uh, how to apply rules in certain situations, trying to give them some inspiration for how to improvise around events that might take place in the game and how to play non-player characters. And and I think that's fantastic, because if if you're a first-time GM, again, going back to the idea that Call of Cthulhu is unusual in that even in this day and age it may be someone's first role-playing game, then putting those training wheels on for a first-time keeper, I think, is an absolute godsend. Mm -hmm. The inspiration from that perhaps came from, if memory serves me right, is it Keep on the Borderlands? The Was that oh, the D&D 4th Ed yeah. uh, one? Because I think that had similar kind of advice in there, if, I'm, if I recall correctly. Yes, yes, it did, lots. Yeah. And then at the back of the book, which was written during the Kickstarter for 7th edition, The Haunting, A Retelling. Uh, this is something that Charlie Crank was, was very keen to have a kind of a daily update on the Kickstarter which would, you know, be amusing and kind of narrate the story of um, some players. Um, yeah, and it was a lot of fun to read. And, yeah, finishes it all off with the character sheet. Yeah, we got the character sheet designed by Dean Engelhart in Australia. It's a nice character sheet. If you can get the, um, I don't know if the PDF character sheet is out yet. Yeah, I don't know either. But, but that's that's really good, the, the PDF version. You do need a do- proper version of Adobe, you know, the free version of Adobe or, or whatever. But The latest um, version of Adobe Reader. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, and to run it outside of your browser, you can't run it as a pl- browser plugin and use no. it. Uh, but I mean, the reason for it, th- th- this doesn't apply to the one in the Quick Start Guide, and the the one in the Quick Start Guide looks very uh, physically similar uh, to the new one. But the new one has got all sorts of logic built into it that will automatically calculate derived stats and so on for you, uh, which is just great. It's a uh, godsend for doing pre-gens. No yeah. more having to lay out everything in Coral Draw and put the numbers in the right places. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was keen to have something like Byaki, really, which was a, um, a PC program some years ago that would was fantastic. It was yeah. just a free PC program that somebody had worked um, done fantastic work on, uh, which which incorporated all sorts of, I think, Delta Green and uh, all sorts yeah, of different one day characters, Castellan um, characters, and so yeah, on. it was really good. And, and yeah, it would it would roll up all the stats for you, calculate the drive stats, you know, allow you to quickly allocate your skills and so on. Yeah, it was marvelous. I, yeah. I love but I mean, this this is the next best thing. It won't it won't do the random rolls for you and so on. But particularly if you're doing the quick fire character generation method, you just quickly put the numbers in there. It'll calculate things like your damage damage bonus and your number of hit points and magic points and so on fill fill those bits in on the sheets and uh, you know all you have to do after that is the skills mm-hmm. so what doesn't it have quite a lot really as it stands, it gives you everything you need, certainly to run the haunting, um, and possibly to run a few other scenarios. Uh, but what it doesn't necessarily do, you know, particularly if you're a, you know, a keeper, it doesn't give you all the tools you need to create your own scenarios. It doesn't give you monsters. It doesn't give you spells. But more than that, I mean, it doesn't give you a lot of the in-depth game options. So, I mean, you know, going back over some of the categories that we talked about in the, the Quick Start Guide, you know, as we mentioned in character generation, you get a whole load more options in the, the core rule book. You get different types of character generation, you get different professions, you get explanations of what all the skills do, uh, you get, you know, examples of what happens if you fail pushing uh, skill roles. You get much more detail on the sanity system. You get much more detail on wounds and recovering from wounds. Um, yeah, you get a lot more of everything, really, don't yeah. you? But, but this is it boiled down to as, as its essential salts, really, <laughs> as, as much as Mike and I could um, do so. Uh, and thankfully it didn't turn out as ye liveliest awfulness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. I think it's... If you hadn't have played Call of Cthulhu before, I think you could pick this up and sit down with it. I'd be interested to hear from people that have, actually. Well, I, I mean, that's the thing. You you can really, you know, do... Uh, apparently, you can run a campaign with this quite happily. Um, our friend Steve Ellis, uh, who you know, we all know from conventions, um, has apparently run the entirety of Masks of Nyarlathotep. Uh, using this, admittedly, I think you know what he's done rather than just use the quick start guide on its own is you know he's used the the details of um, skill descriptions and so on from previous editions of course. Yeah, I mean that that guy's pretty well versed in Call of Cthulhu. So yeah, so what, what I'm intrigued by is if somebody uh, had never played Call of Cthulhu or hadn't read any previous editions, if they pick this up, you know, how can they? How do they get on with it? Yeah, I, I've not heard any descriptions online from people who've never played Call of Cthulhu in any form before who've come to this. But um, you know, if if there's any of you out there listening who have uh, you know encountered this, you know, who know anyone who uh, has played this for the first time, or you know, picked up a copy of the Quick Start Guide for the first time without having having played Call of Cthulhu before, we'd love to hear about that. Mm, yeah, it'd be really interesting to to know. 
But I, I think also, you know, it, particularly from from Steve's experience, but you know, I think in general, you could you could almost use the Quicksar Guide as a rules light version of Call of Cthulhu. You know, if if you weren't interested in yeah, um, say having access to all the the lists of monsters and weapons and equipment and spells and stuff like that, and just fudging that stuff. I mean, you could probably get by for quite a long time with just the quick start rules. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid. All we had was a few photocopied random pages. It seemed like we had the uh, the hit table, a few pages of spell names without descriptions, and we just <laughs> made stuff up based around those. Um, and uh, yeah, I was really disappointed when I found out that Burning Hands only did one d4 damage, uh, and not the uh, I don't know about three d6 that I've been doing with it. Yeah, so if you're of a creative mind and you're happy to work with a fairly bare bones set of rules, then you can. I think you could do quite a lot with this. Yeah, sorry, as an aside, you know what I really want to do now. Based on that, I want to, you know, under the D&D OSR, just base a game on the table of contents from D&D. Just get a table <laughs> of contents and then just write what you think should go with each of those. Don't pay any attention to what's in the actual yes. rules. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? That would be fun. <laughs> it's not like you to make stuff up, Scott. <laughs> so those of you who have been following the Kickstarter campaign for 7th edition uh probably will have seen updates recently about stuff that's had to be cut out of the core uh Call of Cthulhu seventh edition rulebook for space. Well, I mean, as it is, the, the you know, you, you don't worry about being cheated out of material. You know, we we've seen the proofs for the seventh edition and it's oh, yeah. it's a mm-hmm. beast. You are getting a big, big book here. <laughs> yeah. Um but some of the things that have been cut out, I you know, we've talked about how the haunting has been in every edition of Call of Cthulhu up until seventh edition. Um, but, you know, with 7th edition, it's not going to be in there anymore. It's not going to be in the core book, um, and it is just going to be in the quick start rules. But, you know, the quick start rules are free to download, uh, so it's it's not like it's, it's not going to be part of 7th edition. It's been updated for 7th edition. It's still as much a part of the family as it ever was. It's just that, you know, it's, it's going to be in a separate PDF. Yeah, it was a definitely, it was a dilemma that, and... and you know, it was up to Mike and Charlie, but I mean, I talked with Mike about it, and it was Mike was very keen to have it in the core mm. book, to have the haunting in. Um, but it it was in discussion. It, it was kind of one of those things that anybody who's played previous editions has already got a copy of the haunting, or they've played it or run it already. Um, anybody who hasn't. Has probably come across the quick start anyway, and nowadays everybody's got access to the internet. Yeah. Um, they they can get a copy of, um, you know, they can get a copy of it online. Um, so it really seems unnecessary to have it in the book. So if you're going to sacrifice something, I mean, there's two really good scenarios in the book. Um, one of them written by our friend here, Mr. Sanderson, yeah, and another one by Alan Bly. Matt's, it, well, let's not go into the, the core book. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's for another time. Um, the, other, the other change with the quick start rules is something another thing that's coming out of the core book, which is the Call of Cthulhu story. Yeah. I mean, the Call of Cthulhu story, I don't think, has been in, in every edition so far. Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm not even sure, to be honest, if The Haunting has been in every edition. I'm pretty sure it was there in my second edition, which um, was, if I remember correctly, pretty close to being the first edition anyway, just with a few rules changes. Yeah, I may, um, 
Maybe you're right, I'm wrong about that. It, it's it's had quite a few differences. One of the one of the bits that I found in a recent project going through it was that even the text has been updated fairly significantly in each mm, iteration. Mm. Um, specifically, how it references um, because they say I've never played it, but I, I was hunting for various things in there that it describes what effects and spells that the person it can cast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't list them as things like Flesh Ward or whatever to begin with. Well, those might be spells that came later, even. I don't, yeah, well, I don't the, know the, the history the effect, the well enough is, to... The effect is there, yeah. but the title isn't. Right, right. So yeah. I mean, it is one that has gradually evolved over time anyway. Well, yeah, I think yeah. it has. Yeah. And some Call of Cthulhu spell names have changed between editions. Oh, so definitely, like, yeah. Like Shriving becoming Shriveling. Yeah, and uh, Mist of Relay or Relier uh, mm. changing. Mm. So, uh, so the... the Again, um, this is something Charlie Crank was very keen on, on having the story in the core book. Because a lot of people come to the core book, they, they pick up their into role-playing games, they get the Call of Cthulhu core book. They've never read any H.P. Lovecraft, so it's great having one of his stories in there. Yeah. Um, but again, for reasons of space, and also the fact, again, that it's free online. So the, the yeah. story of the Call of Cthulhu is going in with the quick start rules. Yeah, it's not in the version of the Quick Start Rules that's up on the Chaosium side now, but I believe it will um, be re-released with that in. Yeah, and because it was going in the core book, that means that um, some art was commissioned for it. Um, so there's nice artwork that goes along with the, the story, which I, we're, I'm, I'm assuming will be in the uh, the, the Quick yeah, Start Rules. I'd like, like to think it would be. But I, again, this is another indication of how the world has changed between you know the early editions and now, which is, it, it was really good in the early uh, editions of Call of Cthulhu to have the story in there, because you know if you didn't have a copy of Lovecraft's books around, you had to go down to the bookshop, you had to hope they were in stock, if not, you had to order them, it would cost you money to do so, and, and so on. Nowadays, particularly seeing as Lovecraft's work is largely in the public domain, you can go online and read The Call of Cthulhu free of charge. You, you can just go to Dagon Bites or any, you know, any mm, number of mm. websites, download it. Uh, you can spend 50 cents and get a Kindle edition of the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm. So you know, the, the barrier to entry is a lot lower than it used to be. Mm. Uh, so, Matt, you've been to Gen Con. Um, yes. Can you tell us a bit about what the Ns actually are? It's, it's usually held about... Um, evening on the Friday I think or Friday or the Saturday but I'm usually in game at the time I always forget when it's on or I think well I've gone to the convention I want to play games yeah so they have a, they have um, what is it the, the submissions have to be in by May I think so mm-hmm. if you've got a product that you want to put in for a category you can put it in by May then it's, it comes out in July for the nominees there's voting at the end of July and then the, the award ceremony is held at Gen Con in August mm-hmm. in Indianapolis uh, and there's five nominees for each category and there's about must be I don't know best part of 20 categories there's, there's a lot of for artwork yeah. for yeah. best podcast best podcast <laughs> hint hint, hint. <laughs> we are there yeah, because let's face it there, there, there isn't anyone out there who can match us for sheer fucking professionalism <laughs> <laughs> So, um, <laughs> quick start rules are in for best free product. Yes. 
I would say what the other ones up were up against are, yeah. but it escapes me now. I didn't write it go, down. Go, yeah, going back to the professionalism bit, yeah, we should have done some research. Yeah, there, there is I, a, there is a pinnacle one up there for Savage Worlds. On it the, is on it yeah. is on um, blasphemoustomes.com. Um, I put up a blog entry about the uh, the quick start rules, any nomination, and I mentioned the other nominees there. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, basically, the winner gets a certificate and a medal. They yes. get a medal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I remember do. Pedro won for Mythic Iceland. There's lots of different categories, and when you vote, you don't have to vote for everything. You can kind of just pick your categories and um, not even have to vote for all the the, uh, the things in that category. Well, we've managed to talk about the quick start rules for probably longer than would take to read them. So yeah. let's just shut up now. So uh, you're thinking everyone reads a hell of a lot quicker than I do. I'd be sat there reading it for weeks. <laughs> uh, it's a good so, job you haven't got your hands on the Necronomicon. Uh, yeah. uh, that no, it really a, is a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like the monks illuminating the Bible. These are the lifetime's work. Yeah. So, shall we wrap up here then? Indeed, yeah. You can find us on social media. Uh, so we are the Good Friends of Jackson Elias on Facebook, Good Friends of Jackson Elias on G, uh, the Good Friends of JE, because Twitter has to be awkward, um, on Twitter. Uh, we have YouTube as well, don't we? Yes, we, we do. Yeah. The Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Mm-hmm. And Tumblr, but no one mentions Tumblr. No, we do have Tumblr now. Um, yeah. that's, that's up and running. Yeah, with the Good Friends of Jackson Elias there as well. And we have a website. We mentioned it earlier, but we'll mention it again. BlasphemousTomes.com. Okay, well, that wraps up for this week, so it's good night from me, cheerio from me, and farewell from me. So I was distracted because you've got a spider in your hair. Yeah, I've just seen that. <laughs> Let me get it. It's, it's, it's all right. At least all the flies that are living in there.